So last week we started this Christmas series called Longing for Jesus, which this is the end of our reading plan in the Old Testament and our sermon series since Easter of trying to find Jesus in all these stories in the Old Testament and trying to connect some of these dots. And we titled this short Christmas series Longing for Jesus because we're going through a few of the major prophecies about Jesus where the the books of the prophets talked about Jesus and his ministry and what he was going to do as Messiah. It's fascinating to me how you get a book that's 700 years old like Isaiah. And as we studied last week, Isaiah 53 and to a T, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And he, he fulfilled that. And I gave you this statistics. The probability of someone fulfilling that is it's pretty crazy. But I think it's faith building to look into the Bible and realize how it's connected. As weird as the Bible can be at times, especially in the Old Testament, how Jesus makes sense of these, these stories and these prophecies. So last week was Isaiah 53. Today I'm going to do a, a brief few verses out of the prophet Jeremiah, who wrote this about 500 years before Jesus walked the earth. It says this, Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not like the covenant which I made with their fathers in the day I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant, which they broke, although I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. But this is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and on their heart I will write it, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. They will not teach again each man his neighbor and each man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest of them, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin, I will remember no more. New covenant. When you say the word Old Testament, you're saying Old Covenant. When you say New Testament, you're saying New Covenant. What is a covenant? What is a covenant? Kind of sounds like, you know, big word, but what does it really mean? Well, a covenant is an agreement between two or more parties. A covenant relationship is based on promises. Covenant is how God has chosen to relate to humanity. You go all the way back to the beginning. God made a covenant with Adam and Eve, and he said, listen, you can have all the trees in the garden, all of them, but I reserve the one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Do not eat from that tree. If you do, you're breaking covenant with me, and you're going to die. And we know what happened, right? They, they ate from the tree, and then in comes the, the fall of humanity, and just started domino effect of, of stuff, bad stuff going on in humanity. Then you fast forward, the, God makes a covenant with Noah when he, he, the world got so corrupt that God said, I'm going to hit the reset button here. I'm going to start over. I'm going to start over with this man named Noah and his family. And after the flood resided, um, he puts a rainbow in the sky, right? And he says, I'll never flood the earth again. And then 
Two chapters later in Genesis 12, God makes a covenant with a man named Abraham. Abraham was worshiping moon gods and pagan idols and all of that like like the rest of everybody. And he says, no, I'm taking you out and I'm going to make a covenant with you and to your offspring and to your people. And you're going to be a blessing to the whole world. And then God takes the, the children of Israel out of Egypt and he makes a covenant through Moses Uh, through the law and all the commands and all the things pertaining to his covenant people, Israel. We know they failed miserably at that. God made a covenant with David where he said there will always be a a king on your throne, which ultimately we find it in Jesus being the ultimate king. So then we get to the new covenant, what we're going to talk through a little bit today. When you think of covenant, think of marriage vows. Like when Janelle and I exchanged vows, we made a promise to do something. We said, I will, I do. It wasn't a contract. A contract is based upon ifs. If you do this, then I'll do that. A covenant is a promise to do something, to take care of one another, to be faithful, etc. In the, the book of Luke, at the Last Supper, when Jesus is with his disciples and he, he breaks bread and he says, this is my body broken for you. And then it says this in Luke twenty two twenty, And in the same way, he took the cup after they had eaten, saying, this cup, which is poured out for you, is the new covenant in my blood. The new covenant. That he was fulfilling all that the old covenant foreshadowed he was fulfilling that and he himself was the new covenant jesus is the new covenant he's god's covenant with humanity it's up to us to embrace him and to agree with him but you know that that god makes this covenant through the life death and resurrection of jesus he's saying there's going to be a new way of relating to god it's not going to be about do's and don'ts and thou shalts he was going to Make a covenant with us that all pertain to loving God and loving one another as we live that out. Paul told Timothy, he says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. This has now been witnessed to at the proper time. Jesus is, he's God's word to us. And when we put our faith in Jesus and we agree with Jesus, he's our word back to the Father. Yes, Lord, we, we receive him. It says in first, 2 Corinthians 1 that all the promises of God, everything God has ever promised is yes and amen in Jesus. All the amazing things promised we find in, this, in the person of the Son of God, Jesus. Let me ask you a personal question. I wonder how many of us are feeling stress in life right now. You don't need to raise your hand or elbow your spouse, but um, how many maybe are experiencing some kind of relational conflict? How many are discouraged? Sometimes the Christmas season has a way of making our grief of losing a loved one surface. Holidays have a way of doing that. Maybe you feel purposeless. How we respond to Jesus is the answer to how we will go through these inevitable stuff in our life. Difficulties are going to happen in our life. 
But how I respond to Jesus, how I respond to the new covenant is a game changer for how we live our lives. So how does Jesus want us to respond to his new covenant? This new covenant that was uh, ratified by his death on the cross and his resurrection. How does he want us to do that? And I'm going to kind of put it in the first person of, of Jesus himself and what he would say. If I said, Jesus, how do you want us? to respond to your new covenant? How do you want us to respond to you? The first thing he would say this is, believe in me. He would say, believe in me. Put your faith in me. Put your trust in me. Faith and trust are similar words. To have faith in Jesus is to trust him. And he he says this over and over in the Gospels. It's the starting point of responding to the new covenant is to believe in what he's done and who he is. We never move away from that starting point. It's always a walk of faith. It's always growing in faith and and growing in our trust of him. In John's gospel, who was a firsthand witness to the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, in John 1, he he talks about how Jesus came into the world as light, but the darkness didn't understand it. And most people rejected Jesus. His people rejected him because he didn't come as like a general or a David-like military figure. He came in a complete different way as Messiah than what they had expected. But it's, John says this, he says, yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And then you know, This famous passage of scripture, right? Jesus said, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever, say it with me, believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. When the day I became a follower of Jesus, it was October 26, 1992. So a little over 30 years ago. And God had been dealing with me because I was living a crazy life trying to find purpose and happiness and joy in all the wrong things. And, but on that, this was a Monday. Not many people become Christians on a Monday, but it was, it's usually Sunday, but it was a Monday. And the day before, the Holy Spirit had been drawing me and was basically like, are you done? Are you done? Are you ready to, to come home? And because when I was younger, I had encountered a little bit of the gospel, but I thought it was rules and do's and don'ts, and I couldn't keep up with that. But the Spirit was doing something in me, and so I drove to work. I worked with my dad selling insurance. We had an office out at 6th and Union in Lakewood, and I had dreams all night and all this crazy stuff, and so I shut the door to my office And I began to think about what was going on. And I saw a vision in my mind of like a marquee sign, like outside of an old movie theater or a Broadway show that put like the Lion King is the play or cats or whatever. And I saw in those types of type of letters on this marquee that said, believe and I'll show you the way. Believe and I'll show you the way. And I wrestled with that for a second and was like, 
can you show me the way first and then maybe I'll believe in you? Like, can, can you prove that this is really real? Believe and I'll show you the way. And I said, okay. Lord, here's the keys to my life. You do with, do with it what you want, but I'm going to follow you. I'm going to trust you. And I've been doing it for a little over 30 years. This past October was my, my 30th spiritual birthday. So Jesus, how do you want us to respond to you and your new covenant? He first says, believe in me. And then Jesus, how do we respond? The second thing is he's going to say, follow me. Follow me. Follow me is putting your faith in action. It's discipleship. You become his literal disciple where you learn how to live life and do life from his perspective, his model, learning how to live from him. One of the famous passage of scripture about following Jesus is his calling of the disciples. And it was so cool last time we were in Israel walking around the beach on the Sea of Galilee. It's like, was this maybe the spot where, where this passage happened where he calls the disciples? But it says, as he was going along by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon, which is Peter, and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net in the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I'll make you become fishers of men. Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. And we got to grasp that. They fo- he, said, he said, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. And immediately, they dropped their nets. That's important, because what he was calling them to was fishing was their, their livelihood. It was the family business. And he's saying, drop that and follow me. They might have found their identity in what they did for a living. I, I don't know. I know a lot of us as men, we tend to find our identity in what we do for a living. And it's just kind of hardwired in us. So they were saying, okay, we're moving on and we're going to follow this guy. And for three years, they followed Jesus and saw him do his ministry to the point where after you know, his death and and with them, the death of their dream, and then he rises from the grave, they're willing to go all over the world to tell everybody about this guy named Jesus and what he had done. So what does that mean for you and I? Is Jesus saying, leave behind your career and go to Africa or go to a third world country and and go on the mission field? He might, but I don't think that's what he's saying. I think it's practical for you and I that we let him lead our life that we let him call the shots in our life, that we arrange our life around the same priorities and practices that we see in his life. His priority was people. His priority was doing the will of the Father, to walk in love, to, to be a servant. We can do that in the context of whatever we do for a living or whatever, we, whatever season of life we find ourselves in. Jesus practiced things like going and being alone with his father, being silent, and he just wanted to do the will of his father. And I think following Jesus, we want to move from just believing to, no, I actually follow Jesus to the point where I want his teachings to be lived out in my life. That is an accountability, um, our accountability to him first is going to make me a better husband, a better father, a better 
human being, a better pastor, whatever it is, accountability to Jesus dictates how I, I get to treat people or how I, how I treat others and, and so forth in our life. It changes everything. Following Jesus is not easy. How many know what I'm talking about? Forgiving people, not retaliating to people, um, serving when you don't feel like serving, that's not easy. But it's worth it, and it's the best life there is in, in following him. So Jesus says, believe in me, follow me, and then how do you want me to respond to you, Jesus? He says, build your life on me. Build your life on me. After the Sermon on the Mount, which is Matthew 5, 6, and 7, Jesus, there's three chapters of how Jesus says what the kingdom of God is like, how to live in the kingdom of God and kingdom of God principles and so forth. Sometimes people like, try to whittle the Sermon on the Mount as like, Jesus is trying to hold a mirror up to us that, of something we can't attain to. He wouldn't tell us to do it if we couldn't do it. He never said it was easy, but it's there. And at the end of his long teaching, he says this, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against that house. And yet it did not fall for it had been founded on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them, will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. So important that we recognize the storms came for both. The the guy that built his house on the rock, which is a metaphor for building your life on Jesus and his teachings, And the guy that built his house on on the sand did not listen to the words of the Lord and did not act upon them. Came for both. And we know this in life. Life brings storms. Life brings difficulties. Stress, discouragement, all these things. And yet, when you build your life on Jesus, you're prepared for the storm. Because it's coming. Kind of like Dion's coming to Boulder. He's coming. Storm, sorry, I could not resist that. I've been on Twitter way too much with those things. But um, building your house on Jesus prepares us for the reality of the storms of life. Now, here, here's an important thing I want you to think about. Building your life on Jesus is not compartmentalizing your life around Jesus. What I mean by that is for, for us, you have work you have a family, they're box for that. You have hobbies, you have etc. Oh, in church and Jesus. That's compartmentalizing it when building your life on Jesus is, is taking, following him, and it undergirds, it's the foundation of my family, my relationships, my marriage, um, my work, my hobbies. It's everything through him. We build our lives on him. So Jesus says, You want to respond to me, right? Believe in me, follow me, build your life on me. And then he would say this, abide in me, abide in me and and walk in my spirit. Jesus told his disciples, he says, abide in me and I in you 
as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. So neither can you unless you abide in me. The word abide means to remain in, to stay connected. And I asked that question earlier, like, are you stressed? Are you discouraged? Are you in conflict? Are you finding it hard to forgive somebody that's wronged you? Purposeless? Jesus says, listen, you can do nothing apart from me. And it's that, it's that connection of the branch to the vine that if the branch is cut loose from the vine, it can't draw life and nourishment and it withers. But stay connected to Jesus. Stay connected. Abide in him. I really believe abiding in Jesus is the same thing as walking in the Spirit, as Paul says that in Galatians chapter 5, that they're the same thing. If I'm walking in the Spirit, I'm abiding in Jesus. If I'm abiding in Jesus, I'm, I'm walking in the Spirit. How do we do that? How do we pursue a living, active relationship with a person we don't see? How do we pursue this, this living, active relationship? I'll give you three simple things that all of us can do. The first one is remain in His Word or abide in His Word. The words of Christ, the teachings that are in red, all the Bible's important, but listen to the words in red and how He tells us to live and what's best for us. Anything that Jesus commands of us is always for our good. It's always because He loves you and He wants what's best for you. Always. Even the hard stuff. So remain in the Word and then remain in prayer. In a constant attitude of prayer, talk to the Lord. Some people are afraid to pray because they're like, I don't know how to pray. Well, you learn anything by doing it. So you begin to to talk to God. Don't just make your requests and and your needs, but talk to Him. Worship Him. Listen. He'll speak back to you. It's just sometimes we have to be quiet and learn how to listen. So you remain in the Word, remain in prayer, and then remain in fellowship with other believers. Remain in fellowship with other believers. It is so important to be around other people that are pursuing Jesus or to have people in your life that can help pick you up, carry your burdens. That's how part of staying connected to Jesus is staying connected to his body. That's why we talk about home groups so much. The, the, the love that happens in, in the care in the context of a home group is it's un- unmatchable. It's, it's what we're called to do to practice these love one another, care for one another, be hospitable to one another. That's practice in a home group. If you're not in a home group, Craig and Stacy Burns lead our home group ministry. We can get you plugged in somewhere. And we'd love to raise up new home groups as well. We also have core groups. It's where three or four men meet together. Three or four men, three or four ladies meet together for, with the idea of, of just caring for one another, going a little bit deeper, bearing one another's burdens. That's important. I've used this illustration before, but when you have a fire and there are hot coals in that fire and you get some tongs and you take one of those coals out and you set it away from the fire, what happens? It cools off and it's no longer hot. But when you put that coal back in, immediately it's, it's starts on fire again and providing heat. That happens to us spiritually when we remove ourselves from the fellowship for a great length of time. We need each other. 
And it's, we're imperfect. People are going to irritate you because we're different. But it's still the needing of one another and staying connected is so, so important. So, Jesus says, believe in me, follow me, build your life on me, abide in me. And then he would say, trust and obey me. Trust and obey. Obey is simply doing what he says to do. Sometimes that word gets a little bit of a bad rap, but he's not a taskmaster. He's the perfect good God who if he asks us to do something, it's because he loves us and has our best interest at heart. Jesus told a group of people who didn't believe him in the Gospel of John, he said, if you don't believe in me because of the miracles that I do or the signs that I do, do what I say to do and you'll know that I'm from the Father. Isn't that amazing? They don't even believe in him. He says, do what I say to do and you'll recognize that, that by my teaching and you practicing it that I've come from the Father. Matthew 5 through 7 is the sermon on the mount, right? It's a, a brief summary of, of life in the kingdom, walking in the Spirit, abiding in Jesus. It's the way of life in the kingdom of God. And you hear things in the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus says, you know, you've heard it in the old eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. But then he says, but I say to you, bless your enemies. Bless those who wrong you. Do good to those who wrong you. He flips this whole thing that, that his way of the kingdom is counterintuitive to the way of the world. Because his way is selflessness, self-denial, servanthood, humility, not retaliation. We're good at that as, as people. We're, we're born with that instinct to retaliate. Jesus says, that's not how my kingdom works. And that's hard. Those are some of the hardest commands in the whole Bible. We talk about, you know, the Ten Commandments or this or that. I think doing what Jesus says to do is way, way more, more difficult in my own strength. At the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Luke chapter 6 gives a little shorter, briefer of the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus, after he gives his teaching, he says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? Like, he's perplexed. Like, I'm telling you what the kingdom of God is like. And if you're going to call me Lord, then trust me. Put into practice what I'm saying to do. And, and here's the deal. I know I fail living up to those words so much. Anybody relate? A couple of you? <laughs> Thank you. I saw that hand. I see that hand. Um, but here's the deal. We've been given the gift of repentance. Repentance is simply a change of mind and a change of direction. So if I fail, then let's get up and say, God, I'm sorry. I take responsibility for what I said, what I thought, what I did. And you go to the person, if you've hurt somebody, and you say, hey, I'm really sorry I hurt your feelings. I'm really sorry that I offended you. Whatever it is. I'm really sorry I snapped at you. Not that I ever do that, but... Just, but it's saying sorry. It's being good at taking responsibility for your life and actions. And get up, apologize, 
and you, you keep following. You keep following Jesus. I think one of the best ways of looking at our discipleship to Jesus and trusting and obeying him is, how do I handle conflict? Because conflict it's probably not a newsflash for you, but conflict is inevitable part of the human experience. Having conflict with another human being is, is it's inevitable. I was thinking about this before I read this passage. A couple summers ago, um, I was walking. It was like July. So you sweat a lot in one of those hot 95-degree days. And um, the next day, I went to get ready to go on my walk again. And in our, our closet, I have stuff hanging by whatever types of clothes it is, dress shirts to T-shirts to exercise clothes. And sometimes... I'm going to admit this, Janelle already knows this, so you don't have to wrap me out, but sometimes I put my clean clothes on the floor and I don't hang them up right away. And this particular day, um, I thought I was picking up a clean exercise shirt and I started putting it on and it was the shirt from the day before and I like gagged myself, I almost threw up and I immediately took off the stinky dirty shirt and found a clean one and I took off that I put on a clean one. Well, that's the language of the Apostle Paul in both the letter to the Ephesians and to the Colossians. Is He says, take off that old way of irritability, that old way of selfishness, that old way of me first. Put on the new. Put on the new, fresh, Christ-like clothing. And he says this, since God chose you to be the holy people He loves, you must... Clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's fault. Man, that's big. And forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. It takes trust and obedience to do this because left to ourselves in our own way, we're not good at forgiving, overlooking all of the things that he says to do, be patient with one another. Man, that's a game changer for a marriage right there. It's a game changer for a family. It's a game changer for a church that's following Jesus wholeheartedly. If we pursue that, we're pursuing the kind of life that Jesus wants for us. Love summarizes the teachings of Jesus. What does love require of me in any given situation? That's, that's, you'll know the right thing to do is what would love tell me to do? And if you don't know the definition of love, go read 1 Corinthians 13. And, and we're told in Scripture that God is love. His very essence of His being is love. And love is patient. It's kind. It does not envy doesn't keep record of wrongs. It's not a scorekeeper and so forth. That's what love is and what love does. Sadly, we as his followers fail a lot. And Gandhi, who was, you've probably heard this before, but Gandhi, the famous um, Hindu spiritual leader, he read the Gospels and saw the teachings of Jesus and read it and was like, wow, this is what I'm talking about. And he went and hung out with Christians in a church. Sadly, his conclusion was, 
I like your Christ, but not your Christians because they weren't walking in love. Jesus told his disciples, listen, as I have loved you, you're to love one another. You're to love one another. The world will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. Not how eloquent we pray or how long we worship or how much Bible we know. The world will know you're my disciples when you love one another. That's the definition of love. I love the, the miniseries, The Chosen. How many have seen that? It's really, really good. And um, there's a scene where Jesus and the disciples are in Samaria. And the Samaritans hated the Jews. There was a hatred there, a, a racial kind of thing, kind of both ways. But in this scene, you see um, the disciples being like threatened by the Samaritan people and the cussing at them and calling them names and all of that. And there was this guy that Jesus had healed that was a Samaritan and he's with Jesus and they observe this happening and Jesus basically just tells his boys like, don't retaliate. <laughs> and the Samaritan guy, he's like, why didn't you say anything? And Jesus says, I don't ask much of people who don't follow me but I ask a lot of those who do. That's true for you and I. If you follow Jesus, then he is up in the game of how we love and and treat one another. So believe in me, follow me, build your life on me, abide in me, trust and obey me, and then lastly, grow, grow in me growing me. The Apostle Peter, who was another eyewitness to the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, his letter to the church and to us says this, may God give you more and more grace and peace as you grow in your knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. By his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. For we have received all of this by coming to know him, the one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. And because of his glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. These are the promises that enable you to share his divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. In view of all this, make every effort to respond to God's promises. Supplement your faith with a generous provision of moral excellence and moral excellence with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with patient endurance, and patient endurance with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love for everyone. The more you grow like this, the more productive and useful you will be in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Growth is expected. Anything that's healthy is growing. In the physical world, we have our new little baby Jolene, our granddaughter. She was born August 15th. She's growing like a weed, man. I can't wait to go see her again because she goes so fast. But that's normal. If a baby's not growing, then there's something wrong. Well, when it comes to the, our spiritual life, we're supposed to grow too. Little by little, there's transformation into the likeness of Jesus. None of us are ever going to hit perfection and say, I've arrived. No, we're going to know our need of him and his grace till the day we pass from this earth. But don't you want to grow a little bit more like him every day? 
Don't you want to not be as irritable tomorrow as maybe you are today? A little more patient. And opening your heart up to the Spirit to say, please produce these fruits of love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. When it comes to our discipleship to Jesus, I've been contemplating something, and I've, I've kind of coined it um, integrated discipleship, where it's your head, your heart, and your hands. The head part of our discipleship is growing in the knowledge of the gospel and, and interpreting scripture, and, and it's, it's loving God with our minds. Then the heart is the place where worship and prayer and love for God and love for people grows. And then our hands is the servant piece where we are the hands, literal hands of Jesus in this world to serve one another and to serve the world around us. Head, heart, and hands. Here's what I've come to discover. Some of us are way more wired to love God in, in our minds. I know that's me. I love discovering new things about the Bible. And some of you are intimidated with the Bible and maybe even kind of feel bored when you read it. Head part might not be for, for you, how you're wired. doesn't mean you shouldn't read Scripture and, 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 and look at it with others. But maybe you're wired in the heart where it's, and you love to worship and to pray and experience intimacy with God. That's a good thing. Maybe some of you are wired in the hands area where you just tangible, you want to serve people. You want to serve those in need. And here's what, I've, what I'm discovering is all three are part of following Jesus. And if you're dominant in, in one of those three areas, practice the other ones. Practice worship if, if you're just a head person. Practice worship. Practice serving. And grow in those areas and see how we grow into the fullness of in fullness of what it means to truly follow Jesus. Would you stand with me? If you've never agreed with Jesus that He's Lord and Savior, because you don't accept Jesus, you accept his acceptance of you for sure. But faith is coming into agreement. He's already Lord. He's already Savior. We don't make him that. But you agree with him. If you've never done that, do that today. Jesus, I agree with you. You came into this world. As Christy said, you, you, you grew up though. as a, You went from the babe to the man who died on the cross. You rose again to be my Savior. Agree with him. And you are the Lord. Because you're the Lord and you love me and you're good, I want to follow you. I want to follow you. Put all your trust in him. Put all your hope in him. He is not going to let you down, but this world is going to let you down. People are going to let you down. Circumstances are going to stink at times. Jesus never said we were going to go through this life unscathed. But he said, take courage, I've overcome. Put all that on his shoulders today. 
He is a good Savior. We have a good Father. And the presence of the Holy Spirit with us. So I want to pray a blessing right out of Hebrews 13 over all of us. Would you just maybe put your hands out in a posture of receiving? Now may the God of peace who brought up from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, and ratified an eternal covenant with his blood. May he equip you with all you need for doing his will. May he produce in you, through the power of Jesus Christ, every good thing that is pleasing to him, all glory forever and ever. And we all said, Amen.